the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked In Science Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Florke, your Baked In Science Podcast host. And today on our Baked In Science Podcast, you're going to meet our baker influencers. This is going to be a very special group conversation with five of our Baker In influencers. And so, without further ado, let's meet the gang. And we're going to do a quick roundtable with introductions, and we'll start to my right, I guess that is, with Jane. My name is Dr. Jane Bach. I'm the technical director at the Wheat Marketing Center, and uh, I am a case stater. So. Go state. My specialty focuses on wheat and flour quality dough rheology, especially the analytical methodologies, as well as things like gluten structure function,、um, the influence of bran on products. So, really, kind of running the gamut all the way from wheat quality to finished product quality. Excellent, thank you. And、uh, my other side, Gideon, tell us about your background. Hello, everyone. Yeah, my name is Gideon Butler Smith, and I'm also a K Stater, Go State, Bakery Science and Management, of course. And I have been in manufacturing for about four years now, doing everything from bread and bun, where I am currently.、Um, but I also have experience in in pastries and danishes, and also cake donuts. So I've gotten my hands in a little bit of everything, and I'm still so young to find. Tune my specialty, but、uh, I love talking about manufacturing. I love talking about just you know what it was going to take to get us to that work life balance that I understand does not exist. But <laughs> let's talk about it more. Excellent, thank you, Gideon. And our newest baker in is Mafo in Nigeria. Thank you very much for joining us, Mafo. I know it's late there. Yes, please. Hello, everyone. I am Mafu Adeniji. I am a microbiologist, but I love to bake, and I am also a baker. I have the experience of all four years baking, and I work with my sister. We started a startup business, Mystery Bite, that provides cakes and pastries, but concentrates more on cake and cake decorating too. So over here, cakes and celebrations are a big thing. And it's done in grand style, so people love to celebrate one thing or the other. There's always a reason to make a cake for someone, and I really love to do that alongside my sister. And most times,、um, make people happy when they have delicious cakes to eat. So I also、Excellent. work part time as quality control analyst with a food production company called NG Farms and Herbals, and we produce whole grain flours from. Whole grains. It's mostly for traditional food food here consumption. So it's really nice to learn and also、um, improve my skills. So, so I really love to learn and just 
have a good time. I'm still very young, so I'm looking for opportunities to grow and learn and also interact with people. Very, very interesting. Super. Thank you. And my name is Mark Florka. I am currently the Baked in Science podcast host with Bakerpedia. And I'm a retired bakery application scientist. I worked for ADM for 25 years. And I originally trained in Germany as a pastry chef and confectioner and also learned uh, baking with that along the way. So I have about 47 years now, uh, well-rounded experience. And now to the founder who started it all, Dr. Lin. Welcome, everyone. It is so difficult to get everyone on the same page. So I thank you all for being here today with me on this interview. I started Bakerpedia Influencers because I was doing influencing for the industry and I found myself being pulled into different directions. And then one day I told myself, I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if somebody else was doing this, Lynn, so that you don't need to be a 10 places all at once. And yes, this is why I created the Baker in program, the Bakerpedia Influencer program, so that I can mentor all of you on here to share knowledge, to share your expertise. And that's really what I've been passionate about lately is trying to create a team like that so that we can share information. Uh, my particular expertise is in bread production and manufacturing on the high output scale. And I was trained at Wendy's and Dave's Killer Bread. That's where all my experience come from. And I actually went to K-State too, with, uh, graduated with a PhD at the K-State University Grain Science Program. What makes me excited professionally is that I believe that there's so much to do in this industry. There's a huge shift from the boomers exiting and the millennials coming in. And I'm excited to see the shift because things are going to be different. So that's what I'm excited about. Thanks, Mark. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. And so let's get to some questions to our influencers. I'm going to start off with Gideon because I think that's a real good foundation place to start. And in Gideon, in manufacturing, as you mentioned, that you've you've had about four years of experience in and seen a, quite a gamut of things. What would you do to change manufacturing? What would you change about it? It's hard to get really like a like a foothold in it because there's that saying of well it's always been this way don't change it and so in comes toyota with their six sigma and lean like ideology and and just things like that that the baking industry has tried to apply and some companies do it very well i was at kroger for a time and they did it very very well but there's the gap of those kind of like Fortune 500 companies and then kind of you're like not mom and pop, but just like smaller scale, mid scale, like co-ops that have a hard time just with with capital, like retaining that and profit margins in the baking industry are are slim. And so it's hard to kind of prioritize what you're going to update. So there just has to be more discussions. And again, like what Dr. Lynn said is that gap of the boomers and the millennials coming in, there has to be just more communication of what's the priority and how do we navigate 
in America, night shift is still heavily prevalent. Mark, you're the one who taught me about night shift in Germany. Yes, in industrialized European countries, in like Germany and France and, and the Benelux countries, the, that's uh, Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg, night baking has been outlawed. It's been banned to create uh, more attraction to the industry for a better work-life balance. And yeah. it has given rise to automation. Automation and as well as better understanding of fermentation, long and slow fermentations and all these things so that it can still work out. Now, the, the reason it is culturally, though, in Europe, I would say a little bit different from North America. In North America, it's all about volume. It's, it's right. mass production. Like I grew up in Germany where people would line up at the door at the bakery at 6 a.m. for fresh buns for breakfast in the morning. There's none of this buying breakfast buns today for tomorrow. It's got to come fresh from the bakery this morning. And so that is where a lot of that comes from. So that there are less and less small retail bakers and there are more satellites. And so they still have fresh buns at six o'clock in the morning, just that people don't have to go in at 4 a.m. to start to produce those for anymore. Yeah. And I believe that's where the ingredient technology comes into play and supply yep. chain management of, you know, we can get away from night shift baking if we utilize all of the technology at our hands. The enzymes that help create, you know, shelf, shelf life stabilization and the warehouses that can store freeze bread and also just the technology that makes freeze bread taste fresh. And so it's been interesting to be in it. And that is what excites me of just to be part of these conversations moving forward that how do we get better, not just at our efficiency and do the employees like their jobs, but how do we like really change the status quo of manufacturing. And so it's not going to happen overnight or next Tuesday, but these conversations are going to get us somewhere. I think um, it's going to happen in your generation, Gideon. And this is why I don't mind me. You know, you guys can, you know, shut me up if I talk too much, but I have two points for Gideon's conversation is number one, lean Lean, <laughs> lean, not my favorite. Okay. Can I say that again? The reason why it's not my favorite is because you're taking something from the car industry and implementing it into the baking industry without understanding the fundamentals of baking. So where does that trickle down to? It trickle down to knowledge. People are not trained enough to understand the fundamentals to implement lean. Okay. So Lean is implementable. That's my agreement with that. Lean and Six Sigma is implementable. If you teach the Lean and Six Sigma experts on how to bake, once mm -hmm. they figure how to bake, then they can implement their Lean principles. Can you imagine so many bakeries right now in this industry are just taking in the Lean specialists and letting them go without understanding the fundamentals of baking? Yeah. The fundamentals of baking, you can really fine tune it. And this is why places like Pillsbury, Kellogg's all get it because they all train their people. They all get knowledge yep. in before they start the six sigma thing, right? 
So train them, understanding your flower quality. This is where Dr. Jane comes in. Understand your flower quality. Understand your water absorption. Understand your mixing times, your MTIs. These are the things that are not taught right now with lean specialists, right? So they come in with this perception that, oh my goodness, this baking process is out of control. We don't have controls in place. This is not how car manufacturing facilities run. Okay, so that's where the problem is. The problem is not that we can't implement lean. The problem is we are not training people to understand the fundamentals of baking to implement lean and to implement AI and to implement automation. All these can be implemented only if people know what they're doing. That's just my comment for that. And Bakerpedia has now launched Baker Certified where training can be... Yes, get yourself trained on the fundamentals of baking before implementing Dean and Six Sigma because you are just going to throw a bunch of money like I did at the last two places I was when they decided we must bring lean in here. So yeah, I'm, I'm laughing just because Lynn and I have had so many conversations, just us two, just talking about implementing and all this stuff. So yeah, I agree with you. People must be trained first. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things. There's a lot of opportunity within that. And in ingredient manufacturing, I have seen we're at some of ADM's plants where they've gone from three eight-hour shifts to a 12 and an eight. And the 12-hour shift is actually only four days a week. And so they actually are having less input hours, but they increased productivity. And they also increased consistency in terms of less rejects and less errors and, and things like that. Because a lot of these problems happen because of shift changeover. Because in a bakery and a food industry world, it's not as simply as put slot B and, and tool A or whatever, you know, it's not that simple, right? And not, not that engineering is simple, but it's a very different world altogether, right? Because mm-hmm. I've also had a chance to tour Caterpillar plants and it's quite amazing, but it's a whole different world because their items are static. Our stuff is alive. Very good. That's really cool. Oh, thank you, Gideon. Appreciate that. And Jane, what bothers you the most about your field of expertise? So it's probably a lack of understanding of what flower quality is and how you can use it to communicate more efficiently between the miller and the baker, especially. So as one miller put it to me years ago, and I used to bring him in to talk to my students when I was still in academia, and he would come in and he would say, Flour is not just white stuff that falls off the back of a truck. You have to tell me what you want so I can get you the right product because there are many, many differences in terms of what I can give you as a a raw material, the, the flour. You know, a lot of bakers don't necessarily understand how to spec a flour properly for a miller to deliver. And sometimes it's as simple as learning the language, understanding what a water absorption is understanding what a mixing stability is or a mixing tolerance index. These are all things that a miller will understand and already know about their flour products. Mm -hmm. And so for the longest time, bakers have told millers, well, I don't care what you're giving me, just make sure it's consistent because then I don't have to change anything about my process. My process is dialed in. I don't have to change anything about my formulation. The formulation is dialed in. I don't necessarily think that strategy works anymore though, Mm -hmm. because as we move further and further down this clean label 
pathway, the number and types of ingredients available to correct flowers is increasingly narrow and increasingly expensive. Yep. And so it makes it much more important to make sure you have the right flour for the product you're making and the process that you're using to make it. So you can keep that ingredient list a little bit shorter and you can also minimize the use of those expensive ingredients. Flour as a raw material is not that expensive, but it can really impact the efficiency of processing, the way it processes, and obviously the end product quality coming out of it. A lot of bakers don't understand. They expect the same quality coming from the miller as specked out in some of the sheets. And, you know, um, they don't train the people on the floor to read marinographs. They don't train the people on the floor to read falling numbers, right? So those are the basic things we actually teach in Baker Certified to look for. And I find that a real gap in understanding the process and the product. And if only, if only 50% of our bakers out there understand their flowers, we would have less waste in the industry. That's Yeah. Right. And I mean, every year at new crop season, the miller is going to communicate to the baker. These are the changes you, you can expect to see in the flower this year based on what the harvest quality was like. Yep. And if you understand how that applies to your product and your process, you can go ahead and make those adjustments fairly seamlessly and not really suffer too much when changeover happens. But if you don't understand what those changes and those values mean for your product and your process, it's going to be a really bumpy ride as you move into the flower coming in from the new crop. So even really specific examples like that, it makes sense to really get into the nitty gritty of what those flower quality numbers mean for you. Yep. I can remember when, when I first started with, with ADM, I was a technical service rep and I got my start basically about three and a half months before Canada banned uh, potassium bromate, which was almost like a cure-all. And there are still some states and countries that use it because it's an, it's an incredibly efficient oxidizer and you can punish the dough in all it's kinds of ways and it still recovers, oxidizer. right? <laughs> and so it was extremely forgiving. I mean, you know, especially in like, you know, in-store grocery store bakeries where they would have a speed rack full of, of buns and breads all at, you know, three quarter to full proof, and then roll them across a tile floor with all these grouts, right? With a bum, 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 you know, and you couldn't do that today. It would all collapse, right? Um, but with bromate back then, no problem. Just, you know, run over to the oven with it. It didn't matter, right? And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's adjusting for that. And every year, new crop is always those challenges and new crop in the US tends to be kind of midsummer most of the time and in Canada it's, it's usually around late September early October Lynn and I are always stressing to work with you know people like the grain commission where where the grain institutes like the Canadian grain institute up in Winnipeg as well and work with your millers they will share that information with you they want you to have consistent 
and ease of time to adjust because they don't usually just cut off from old crop to new crop one to the other. They phase it in and will give you information so that you can have a consistent uh, product going forward. And I hope that reflects too as to some of what you've seen, Gideon, on the manufacturing side of things, right? I don't know. That's a question I have for you, Gideon. I mean, does your plant tell you that? I mean, does your plant tell you that new crop's coming? Yes. You share that information. That information, yes. So last year, I don't think they did like a 25% new crop. I think they started at like 50% new crop. And so we had 50% for a handful of weeks. And then it was that time of 100%. And so honestly, our miller was super consistent and we didn't see a lot of change. And so what I heard from the old dough heads is like, well, that never happens. And so <laughs> That's we because were... no one's watching the process prior to you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it was a super good transition. But yes, our miller communicated what we were getting, absorption, protein, MTI, all that stuff. So that's yeah. exactly what every bakery should have. Should They should have one person in charge of technical quality to make sure there is a smooth transition between crop changes. So we've always had that support at the facilities that I work at. So it is something, you know, good to have. It's good to have. Yeah, I, I always remember when I was at ADM, all our tech service guys during new crop changeovers, they were just in bakeries for weeks. They only got home on weekends, if that, just to, you know, make sure that the customers are having a, a easy transition with the crop changeovers. You know what? I hope that changes too with this generation because we have instrumentation like the Mixolab that we can teach bakers to run and to understand and to manipulate their flowers. It, it is getting better. And that is part of a generational change as people want to stay home and spend more time with their exactly. family. Exactly. Than- We're not going to have that talent <laughs> going out in the fuel anymore. So we need to figure out how to best teach yeah. bakers how to run their own show. The tech service guys, when they're young, they just like getting on the road and, and flying all over the place and being road yeah, warriors. Yeah, that's, right? that's not how the next generation is going <laughs> to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna just call Jane. She's gonna have her ten mixolabs there running all simultaneously and answer all these calls. I'll take one look at the curve and go, "You're out of spec." Mafo, we've been we've been so busy talking about flour. How about you know the the product, the cakes? What kind of questions? What do you see happens the most when when you're doing some of your your consulting or your own work with customers with cakes? What do you see the most? Okay, mostly what people ask about cakes is the price. Price is an issue. Uh So those are reality. Yes. Okay. And because prices of things have gone up, the cost of production is to be high with inflation and importing of um, some of the products. So cakes are actually a bit expensive. So people complain, people ask, why are cakes expensive? Can't I just buy this for a lesser amount? And because Breads here are a bit cheaper because they are more. It's, people produce them in larger quantities, easily consumed, more consumed than cakes. Mm-hmm. People want to compare breads with cakes, but forgetting that it's a whole process entirely. It's something different. The ingredients are different. Process is different, and 
it's very difficult explaining and saying, okay, this is why cakes are expensive. You want quality, but you have to pay for it. And that's what we struggle with. That's the most frequently asked question over here. And then sometimes another question is, people ask, can you get alternatives? When you tell them, okay, this is this, they want to use an alternative, try to suggest their own alternatives to you. Why don't you use this instead of that? But mm-hmm. forgetting you are the professional and this is your field. So you have to argue with people and say, or not necessarily argue, but try to let them understand and say, okay, this is different from this. You don't just substitute. You have to, this, you follow a procedure. This is what is done to get this. So you need to understand that. And not compromising is another thing. You want to stand yep. by your training and what you know that it's true and right and needs to be done and also what's of the best quality and safe for people's consumption so handling all of that sometimes can be overwhelming i agree with you 100 percent to to produce a consistent high quality product first of all you have to start with the ingredients just like you mentioned it's the quality ingredients and then you have to have the skill to work with those ingredients. Just like in bread baking, as Jane and Gideon have talked about having the knowledge of understanding the farinographs and mixographs and all of this information, is that when we're cake artists, that we also have to understand how to properly whip and emulsify and, and to fold and bake and all these types of things. I'm famous for my storytelling, so I'm going to tell a little story. And I think you'll like it, Mafo. My wife's uncle, he has long been a a big brother, like in a mentorship program where he was a big brother to a young man who has special needs. And uh, and he has a number of other friends and things like that. He doesn't like giving gifts, but he'd like, he would like to bring a dessert, a cake as a gift. So whenever there was holiday time, like at Christmas in particular, he would get invited to many parties and he didn't want to have to bring booze, you know, alcohol, or other things, he wanted to bring a cake to the party. And so he asked me to make a cake for him, to make a Black Forest cake, because he had tried my Black Forest cake and he really liked it. And so I said, sure, yeah, for you, family, special discount price is only $20, which was really cheap back then too, right? Not even to, not only today, but even then was cheap, right? And so then he kept asking me for more and more. And so it got to the point where Every year, I was making 25 Black Forest cakes for him, and he was okay with that. I would freeze them. I would freeze them all, and he didn't have space for it, so he would just come by every week and take three or four or five, and he paid me up front for all of the ingredients. And then one time, he came to me and said, look, don't get me wrong, but how come you charge you so bloody much? It's like, and those are his words, so bloody much is $20 for a cake. I mean, some of the supermarkets, they're like $7.99, right? And I said, look, uncle, you can buy the $7.99 cake. You won't hurt my feelings. If you want to buy that and save money, by all means, go right ahead. You won't hurt my feelings. I'm doing this as a favor as well as as a passion for me. And so, okay, so he went and bought some of the 799 cakes and then he came back to me and said never again. Never ever again. <laughs> so Mark, so he I will pay you 100 bucks for a solid solid black forest cake made the right way. Okay? The That's next how much time I, it means to me. 
The next time I come out west, I'll make you one just for the cost of the ingredients. <laughs> yeah, man. The right fish, the right cherries, yeah. you know, the right consistency. That's all like that is such a German art. You know? we, and and it was it was a staple of my apprenticeship where we worked. So I completely understand what you're saying, Mafo. And we have to debate with the customers sometimes and educate them as well. Right. So it's a very important point. That's that's absolutely true. Dr. Lynn, do you have anything for me or should well, I? Before I start, before you start on me, let me start on you. OK, Mark, you've been such a fantastic host to the Baked in Science podcast, and you've been interacting with a community a lot as the forum manager. Mm-hmm. We launched the Baking Industry Professionals Facebook and LinkedIn pages, and you've been involved in discussions there. And I feel this is so important for us at Bakerpedia because that's where we get the feedback on what's important. So can I ask you, what is the most frequently asked question on the Baking Industry Professionals page on social media? There are some things that wax and wane a little bit on, on like flower quality and how to understand some of the, the different flower measurements. Like there's there's one the other day that popped up about whether you do things like a farinograph and stuff on cake flour, right? Which usually is not done, right? But the one that we get the most overall is shelf life. And shelf life is so many varied questions that we get. And when we get good information from the original poster, from the person posting the question, that's when the resolutions and the suggestions come really quick and fast and they get answers to their needs. When the less specific you are, the harder it is because of sometimes even regional time changes and things like that. If somebody in Nigeria posted a question at 9 p.m. there, it may not get seen until the next the following day in another part of the world, right, where somebody has the answer longer with back and forth to get the initial question clarified. Because shelf life often is mold. That is often the thing that people will talk about first, but it's much more important than that. Gideon, you have a lot of expertise in cookies. And as you well know, if you have a cookie with 0.55 water activity and stuff, you can give that a one year plus shelf life easily and not have to worry about mold. But what you will see is changes in texture. You will see staling, flavor, things like that. So shelf life has a lot of different things. When I worked at ADM, we also had a flavor group as well. So there we worked with the flavor people also in terms of setting up the shelf life of the flavor. So we had the ability to do accelerated shelf life testing and stuff so that we could see with group tastings and things like that to ensure that after what was a projected six-month shelf life, that the flavor had not changed significantly. It will always change, but how much will it change significantly? Or texture. I'm wrapping up a video right now for a baker in for our friends at Texture Technologies Incorporated, where we can then see even after 14 days, how much a cookie can change if it is not in special packaging and things like that. And texture is important. So do you want to keep that snap 
Do you want to keep it soft or like in a cake, right, Mafo? I mean, you know, people, yeah. it's not just mold. People want that cake to stay nice and soft and have a nice moist yeah. texture and things like that. Shelf life is the thing that we get asked the most on and a lot of interesting ones too. There's somebody who wants to make tortillas with a one-year shelf life and that's going to be packaging more than anything else because you can't get the water activity down in tortillas. Very difficult. When I see shelf life six months to a year, you know, I mean, we can't judge them, right? That's what they want. I mean, they're probably going to get it. The issue I see with this whole situation is why are we getting so many questions on these? I see a couple different reasons from some of my past experience is that, well, one is I agree with you in that if you have a product that is selling so slow that you need six months shelf life, you probably don't have a good product or you're making too much. Or your distribution channel is to a place in a desert somewhere far away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Speaking of the desert far away, if you are distributing into countries like Saudi Arabia, they are very strict and they demand a one-year shelf life on everything that comes into the country. And they don't have any flexibility on that. I used to sell bakery mixes into Saudi Arabia and Qatar and stuff. We just gave it a one-year shelf life on the information that we provided for the documentation because we knew they would sell it before that anyway. So it didn't matter. The only concern with, obviously, with flour products primarily is either bugs or that the leavening exhausts. I really do feel that we have a lot of these kinds of questions because we're getting a lot of entrepreneurs coming into mm -hmm. this field, not understanding water activity, not understanding staling, what goes behind the mechanism of, of staling. I mean, all the information can be looked at on Wikipedia. Yep. But mm -hmm. my point is we're getting such an influx of new talent into this industry that no one's teaching them, no one's training them. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're getting the questions. I think that's where the problem is. I, I yeah. think the problem is the influx of new talent. There's several members who've been really great. Ray Bassan out of the, I think he's in the Philippines. Uh, Yuri, they've been really good. I mean, a lot of uh, chemical knowledge background. Mafo, you could probably decipher better than me some of the things that they're talking about. It's understanding why do we need this. In that sense, too, big manufacturers make mistakes when there's poor education, to your point, Lynn. I remember years ago in a large cake plant in Puerto Rico. And of course, Puerto Rico is very humid, so they want to, you know, protect things as much from uh, getting mold, but they were putting so much preservatives. They were putting so many different preservatives into the cupcake batter that it was reacting with the leavening and they couldn't get the batter into the oven fast enough before the batter would start to blow up. And so they, they had this constant bottleneck because they were also running with an oaks. Um, so it was a high speed continuous mixer and it was just way too much preservative rather than just looking at tweaking the formula in other areas and ensuring that they're not overproducing for the, the distribution channels within the island because they were just producing for the island. That was it. Knowledge and learning to be able to manipulate things. You know, putting preservatives in just because you think you're going to reduce mold is not always the answer. That's correct. And Mafo Audrey did a great Wisdom Wednesday on that recently as well. Right. I'll, I'll say, just add to what she said, um, what Dr. Lin said, because 
over here for me, I think that's what actually drew me to Wikipedia because I was curious to know. I actually had to move, change locations, move from a city to another city. And the humidity, the temperature, it's actually different. Where I was, was actually very cool. We didn't have problems with our recipes. When I moved to the capital, it became something else. So I had to actually sit down and actually check my recipes again and also see how to go about it. And that's when I found Wikipedia and then I had to improve and learn and also switch Excellent. up a whole lot of things. So that just adds to what you said. I'm so Fantastic. proud of you right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so tell us, Lynn, what else is going on at Bakerpedia? A lot is happening at Bakerpedia. We just hired a VP of growth and his name is Robert Schneider. Bob has an extensive past in digital marketing and e-commerce. So he is going to help us. We need so much help. He's going to help us in our marketing efforts and in helping our sponsors as well market their companies. I'm so happy to welcome Bob onto Bakerpedia. And also, you are all going to see changes coming up in the next few months because of him, you know, because we're going to market differently and we're going to do a brand refresh and there's a lot to do. So if any of you have to send me an email these days, just wait a little bit more, like maybe the next day till I get back to you. You know, I'm not, I'm no longer on my immediate response time. <laughs> I think the Beat Baker in program is going to change a little bit. You know, the forums are going to change a little bit, but it's all for good change. You know, it's mm-hmm. all for so that Progress. we can scale this company, you know, uh, properly. You know, I, I, I'm the kind of person that is very cautious on growth. Like I want to see growth, but I want to see proper, well thought out growth. I don't want to throw out growth numbers that is, you know, toxic to the environment. Like, I'm very conscious of that. So maybe it's just me. But this is how I would like to grow my company. I want to make sure this company lasts more than two years. Okay. I want to make us to make decisions that make sense for the next 10 years, 20 years. You know, I want to make us a legacy company where, you know, our employees can continue to con- contribute to this growth after I retire. You know, I would love to sit in your seat any day, Mark, but I can't leave yet. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of work to do. So bringing in key players in the next few months would be my intention of growth and growing the company sustainably and making sure that this resource is still available, right? What, what I started this journey on making it shared freely is still available. That's what I'm concerned with. And I would like to take that position as a CEO, as a strategist, as a vision creator, to really move this company forward. And I really need that marketing help. And this is why you're going to see a lot of changes coming on with Bob. Mm-hmm. That's what's new yeah. at Wikipedia, And I'm so excited to share it. That's excellent. Well, we're looking forward to it. That's fantastic. right? Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Does anybody else have any other questions or things that they want to add before we kind of wrap things up? I don't know. I want to hear from the new influences. What do you think? It's been a lot of fun so far, and I promise I'll stop talking about wheat in my uh, Wisdom Wednesdays. I'll move on to flour. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> so much to talk about flour, Jane, so much. 
so much. I know. Mafu, you do you have anything yes. to add? Well, I'm actually just really excited about this and then seeing that technical knowledge is something that will be shared because most times we just work with what they know, the procedures, but technical knowledge is limited. And I believe that that's something that's really going to help the industry, particularly here and I think generally over both. So I'm really excited about that. Excellent. Fantastic. And we have two other Baker influencers that are part of the team who weren't able to make the group chat for today, but we will meet them together again another time as well. We have Sophia Pai and Jose Lopez who are, have joined the team as well. And we're looking forward to lots of exciting interactions and fun with them too. And like I always say, I like to have fun. My blessing in, in my career has been that I get to play with food all day. I enjoyed it a lot. Even those late nights and things, Gideon, I, I got through it, but I always enjoyed what I was doing. <laughs> Just focused on that. So thank you everyone everyone for your time. Thank you for listening in, and I hope you enjoyed meeting our Baker influencers and hearing about a little intro of their talents and passions. Until next time... I'm Mark Florka, your Baked in Science podcast host. Take good care and happy baking.